AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thanks so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We hope it'll be a good one for you. Here's what we'll talk about. It's another report day. We'll preview that with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. We're going to talk about ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematodes and things that the farmers need to be doing this fall in that battle. Greg Tilka, Iowa State nematologist, will be joining us later in the program. And we'll get reaction today to the Biden administration's um, plan to expand monument designations. We'll talk with the vice president of the Public Lands Council why some ranchers are very concerned about this. That's coming up on today's program. But we're going to start things off with an update on where we are in the battle against African swine fever and the ongoing effort to keep it out of the United States. Very happy to have with us the chief veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, Dr. Liz Wagstrom. Liz, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. We have talked about this uh, quite a few times, and we've seen African swine fever spread, seemingly getting ever closer to the U.S., but so far, thankfully, we've kept it out. Uh, what's the latest on what uh, we know about where it's at and how it has spread? Sure. We've um, obviously been very concerned in watching um, the spread of African swine fever to the Western Hemisphere for the first time since the early 1980s. And so we know that now both Dominican Republic and Haiti have had positive cases. Um, the U.S. territories of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, remain free. We don't have any evidence that there are other Caribbean islands or Central American nations that are positive. So at this point in time, it appears um, that what we do know is it's on the island of Hispaniola, which is Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And um, the USDA is taking actions with Customs and Border Patrol, or Border Protection, excuse me, to keep it out of our territories and out of the mainland of the United States. But it seems like now it's right on our doorstep. It is. And so we've worked very closely with Customs and Border Protection as far as um, looking at making sure um, they're they're very aware. They're making sure that those flights coming in from the Caribbean and especially from the Dominican Republic are met with beagles and met with um, extra agents to assure that no illegal products are being brought in. Um, they've been very active. Actually, we've had a lot of people concerned about the Haitian immigrants um, that have come across in Del Rio, Texas, and we're hearing that most of those um, immigrants have been out of Haiti for years, if if not uh, for sure months, if not years, and that any meat products that they would have brought from Haiti have long been consumed, and any products they have brought across that have come from Mexico, um, are um, those meat products are being confiscated. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, there's a lot of focus on that southern border, and and the people coming across and we've thought we know there's a lot of concern different levels of concern about that but i don't think there's been much said about the the thought of animal disease coming in with them uh how big a concern do you think that is well we're really pleased that customs and border protection are um taking um a close look at that with the people coming across um that are uh, trans um versing across all of Mexico. Products that they would be bringing across have been long consumed by the time they get to the United States. Mexico has a strong surveillance system. They're definitely doing surveillance around areas where they have had boat landings. Um, and so I think our partnership with Mexico, as well as the strong Customs and Border Protection uh, look at that area is um, giving us a, a sense of assurance that, that it's um, going to be very low risk. We're talking with Dr. Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council. So, Liz, uh, the efforts have been strengthened, updated, uh, expanded, as you've pointed out, to keep African swine fever out of the United States. 
Are you also working, though, on contingency plans just in case it does get into the U.S.? Absolutely. And um, in the last, um, well, at the end of September, um, Secretary Vilsack had announced that they were um, uh, committing up to $500 million from CCC funds towards African swine fever. We know some of that will help um, contain the situation in the Caribbean at the request of the governments there. But we're looking at um, what can be done with the remainder of those funds to help us be prepared to respond. And that includes everything from increasing uh, capacity in our laboratories to um, adding supplies and equipment to the veterinary stockpile to trying to train more foreign animal disease diagnosticians. Um, and so it would be a much more holistic effort on um, being prepared to respond um, above and beyond what we've already been doing for the last several years. Where are we in the development of a vaccine for African swine fever? That's a great question. Um, the USDA has their Agricultural Research Service has several vaccine candidates that show promise. One that we hear a lot about is being developed by a, um, in coordination with a company in Vietnam. So it's being field tested in Vietnam in real world situations. And just recently there was a publication that said it worked in pigs of Asian descent or Asian lineage as well as those of European lineage like we'd have in the United States. So I think there's a lot of promise. It still is, um, will take a while for it to be um, approved for use and commercialized. And then there needs to be discussion with trading partners as far as any acceptance of vaccination, in, especially in a free country like the United States. I mean, it's very important that we continue to um, demonstrate our freedom, that um, we make sure our trading partners know we are free of ASF, and so, um, you know, not not sure exactly where vac vaccination would fit into the strategy of a free country. Do they still have ASF in China? I mean, it's been going on there for some time. Where are they in their eradication efforts? They definitely still have ASF. It's um, uncertain how how widely spread it it continues to spread. They've had some variants that have emerged that are. Um, not the um, high mortality event that we had originally there. Um, that makes it a little more difficult to control because if you're not seeing high mortality, it may be easier to miss that you truly have a, a ASF infection within a herd. So um, the country continues to be positive um, and as much of Southeast Asia does. You know, we see the Philippines still has... Um, cases going on. Um, Vietnam still has cases. So so um, Asia is still a hotbed of activity with ASF. And again, the efforts continue to keep it out of the U.S. So far, so good. Liz, thank you for the update. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Dr. Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council. All right, stay with us next. Reaction to the Biden administration's plans to expand monument designations. Why that has some ranchers very concerned. The latest on that next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $15 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend Crop System. See program details at SprayEarlyGuarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. 
From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit channellistens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. President Biden has signed proclamations to expand the perimeters of several national monuments that will alter the management of millions of acres of western lands. Here to talk about that is Mark Rober, Vice President of the Public Lands Council. Mark, thank you for joining us. Uh, this, for some, not really familiar with uh, the workings out on the western lands, uh, they might say, well, that, that sounds good, uh, more space for national monuments. Why is this a concern to you and other ranchers? Well, there's, there's multiple concerns, Mike. Uh, you know, number one, whenever you get into the national monument designation, uh, the limitation on the type of management that goes on <clears throat> gets pretty restrictive. And uh, so your options get limited on what you can do. And then uh, along with that, they uh, tend to drop management plans that are only really set in a space of time. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a glimpse of a point in time and kind of the preservation mode. We all know that nothing in this life stays the same forever. And that includes land and you have to be able to adapt to that. And that's one of the biggest concerns uh, is uh just the restrictive nature of, of the type of management that goes on. But beyond that, I mean, what is really concerning about what President Biden did with this is uh, we've been under the, the impression that this administration wanted to work at conservation and work at, at uh, doing some of these things through collaboration and, and uh, stakeholder groups and trying to work with the locals. And uh, this is a giant step backwards. And uh, <clears throat> we're, we're concerned that, uh, you know, they, they talk to talk, but they don't really walk to walk. So that's, that's 
really one of the biggest concerns that the Public Lands Council has at this point in time. President Biden said, this may be the easiest thing I've ever done as president. The protection of public lands must not become a pendulum that swings back and forth depending on who's in public office. What's your reaction to that? <clears throat> well, there again, he, he just contradicted himself, in my opinion, because that is exactly what he did. I mean, this was, uh, to me, it was a, a rollback of what President Trump had done in the previous administration, and that's all it was. And he did not really take into concern any of the local governments or the state government of Utah uh, in making this decision. He just you know, unilaterally did it. And so it, it really is kind of a contradiction in terms. Yeah, you feel he did not listen to local and state uh, officials and, and, and folks like you, ranchers in that area, did not take into consideration uh, your concerns about this? Well, he didn't. He didn't ever ask. He just did it, <laughs> and that's that's what's really concerning. Is that you know, in the Obama administration put out these uh, these boundaries on these uh, monuments, and then uh, <clears throat> and they had some collaboration, but not a lot. And then President Trump's administration kind of took in some of the local concerns and the state concerns and rolled that back a little bit. And in place of saying, well, maybe that wasn't good enough and we need to have more collaboration and more trying to find the middle ground, President Biden just turned around and, and went back to the original without any, without any uh, collaboration at all or even letting local government or state government know he was going to do it. They found out about it just like the rest of the country. Hmm. We're talking with Mark Rober, Vice President of the Public Lands Council, uh, discussing this decision by President Biden to expand the perimeters of several national monuments. Mark, could you give us some examples of how this impacts you as a rancher? Kind of give us a uh, what it's going to be like for you and others in the West to, to deal with this new designation, how that will affect your operation? <clears throat> well, on a personal basis, it doesn't affect my operation. I'm in Colorado and do not have that designation hanging over me. But, you know, the concern is is that they could, they could find a national designation here also but the biggest thing is management. Uh, I mean, if you restrict, totally restrict motorized vehicles, totally restrict fences, that type of thing, it, it all boils down to a lack of options. And if you don't have, if you can't get the tools out of the toolbox to use to make the best management decision possible, both economically and you know, for the ground sustainability, your your options are limited, and then that just that just complicates your bottom line. And if you can't get that bottom line to work, you're not going to stay in business, and that mm -hmm. has repercussions across the across the <clears throat> landscape because a lot of people don't realize the the tie-in of these federal lands to private land. And uh, without one or the other, they really don't work. And uh, so, you know, if your private land becomes uneconomical, well, then you're left at subdividing more houses, more urban sprawl. It, it's just a multitude of, of <laughs> concurring problems that go on. So it is, it is a big concern throughout the West. You touched on something that I was going to ask about next, and that is the concern that this might just be part of a bigger movement in this direction. If it, if they do it here, it can be done in other places, and it becomes kind of a more of a an overreach or a land grab uh, by the federal government. Yeah, and that's you know there's 
when he first took office, there was the talk about the 30 by 30, which came to America the Beautiful, and that's been a concern for a lot of people because of that. They looked at it as a possible land grab and just a way for the federal government to take over more ground. And uh, that could apply also to private lands. And, uh, you know, and Public Lands Council has taken the the road that we're willing to work with them, and it's going to take working together to even minimally achieve those goals Mm -hmm. if they aren't already achieved. When they talk about 30 by 30, we don't really have a baseline of what has been conserved already. And most of these federal lands, um, in some extent, are conserved already. They've set aside as federal lands. So they can't be developed and sold, and and that <clears throat> so that concern is is there also. But but that's the that's the overriding concern. Is it is this a precursor to what's coming, or will they take a step back and say, okay, we need to work with the local people? The president and CEO of the National Wildlife Federation said that uh, the action is safeguarding lands of cultural significance for five sovereign tribal nations, conserving important wildlife habitat, and ensuring that future generations will be able to experience these lands and waters for generations to come. Uh, How do you respond to that? Well, that's an ideological solution, um, and that's a simple simple solution much like the president signing it was a simple solution to to achieve a a goal that may or may not do what they intended to do uh <clears throat> these are changing landscapes and uh mm-hmm. you have to be able to adapt to them and uh that's the problem with the preservation preservation mindscape is that uh nothing is going to stay exactly as it is. It's going to change over time, regardless. And uh, <clears throat> so you have to try and manage those to get the type of landscape that you really want. And ranchers are the are the keystone to that. We have uh, the most experience and the amount of fields that can get got down, and that's what we want to keep trying to emphasize to the administration. All right, Mark, thank you for your perspective on this. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Mark Rober, Vice President of the Public Lands Council. All right, up next, we talk markets with Todd Holtman with DTN. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Today, the USDA will release their October WASD and crop production reports. The average trade estimate is that the USDA will slightly lower their U.S. corn yield while slightly increasing their soybean yield. Compared to last month, futures are lower ahead of the release, with December corn trading six and a half cent lower at 5.26 and a half cent. The March contract down six and a half cent at 5.35 and three quarters. For soybeans, the January contract trading 
trading eight and a half cent lower at 1231 and a fraction. The March contract down eight cents at 1242. For wheat, Chicago wheat December trading a nickel lower at 726 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat December down two and three quarters at 731 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat December down three quarters at 944 and a half cent. The March contract down a half cent at 934 and a half cent. Trade was sideways for live cattle on Monday with futures trading in relatively tight range and prices finally settling on both sides of unchanged in closer months. Hogs were under pressure all day yesterday, unable to uncover aggressive buying interest as traders are concerned about the near-term demand of hog supplies. Futures are mixed on the board of trade with December live cattle trading 20 cents lower at $130 even, the February contract up a nickel at $134.92. Feeder cattle November up 22 at $161.90, January trading 45 cents higher at $162.55. In lean hogs, the February contract down 82 cents at 82.27. The December contract down 97 cents at 79.25. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 81 points. The Nasdaq composite down 18. The S&P 500 down 8. Crude oil in New York, the November contract up 51 cents at 81.03 per barrel. The U.S. dollar index is trending higher. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we get more USDA numbers today. Let's talk about it with Todd Holtman, DTN's lead analyst. Todd, thanks for joining us. As you and I are speaking now, the report has not yet been released. But what are you most focused on? What are you watching most closely in this report? Well, you know, since I talked to you at Husker Harvest, uh, Mike, a lot of things have changed and uh, really for the bearish uh, side of things. Uh, in, in, in the case of soybeans, we just keep sliding lower. So the concerns ahead looking at today's report are just what USDA is going to say for those ending stocks uh, on soybeans. And, of course, uh, we're confident they're going to be higher because of the quarterly stocks report we saw for September 30. But uh, also I think there's a good chance we're going to see the soybean yield estimate uh, notched up maybe a half a bushel higher uh, and, and add to the production side. If we want to add one more bearish worry to the table, I think it's the fact that corn and soybean exports have been very sluggish to start the new year. I don't expect USDA to adjust the export estimate yet, but it's quite possible they could reduce both corn and soybeans. So all of a sudden we have this bearish tone after all this talk about super tight supplies and would we have enough? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it it's, always amazes me we can take such big shifts, big change in direction in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think it's part of, as we talked for a long time, when we were talking about ending supplies of maybe 100 or 130 million bushels in soybeans, it doesn't take much of a change. I mean, we were talking about an 80 million bushel increase in that quarterly stocks report, but it certainly changes the perception about being worried about the tightness uh, of those supplies. And so you add that together, and now we have, you know, increased shipping concerns in China, and they've closed down their crush plants and uh, all kinds of things that are starting to weigh a little bit heavy here at harvest time. 
So if you held on to crop thinking the price was going to go up, should you be worried now? Um, worried? No. I still, you know, harvest time typically is not the time to sell. And I think the, the better atmosphere for prices still is going to be in early 2022 when uh, the corn and the soybeans are stored away. And uh, we, we've got the harvest a bit in the rearview mirror, so that worry's kind of off the table. Of course, we'll be watching uh, South America crop development. Mm-hmm. It looks like they're starting to get more beneficial rains in Brazil. But still, uh, I, I have to say, even uh, with the shipping concerns and all of that going on, uh, it still looks like China needs to be a big buyer of soybeans in the season ahead. So I, I do think there will be better days. Well, let's talk about China. What do you make of their buying pattern? And, you know, we hear the Biden administration is going to try to hold them to the their phase one commitments. But it seems like, I mean, to me, it seems like they do what they want. And they're going to buy what they feel they need. What do you think they need? Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> you threw a couple things in there. Let me just uh, start off by saying that phase one agreement, I always have to remind people uh, there is an item in the Phase 1 agreement that China actually says they don't have to buy anything other than what they actually need. It's a commercial considerations clause. So even though the headline, we often treat it as if they're obligated to, there really is no obligation in that agreement. So that's uh, uh, disappointing, and I would not be hanging a lot of weight on uh, expecting the agreement to pull us through. When it comes to the actual uh, status of where is China at, on corn, uh, I think there's a greater consensus that roughly uh, they're going to need roughly 800 million bushels of corn, and perhaps 650 or 700 of that could come from the U.S. In the case of soybeans, it's a much uh, bigger number, and of course they they get the lion's share of their soybeans from Brazil. But I uh, still think there's a, a very good chance that they're going to need uh, another record amount of soybeans from the U.S. I think you brought up a good point about the phase one trade deal. We talk a lot about it in this country. I don't think there's probably a lot of discussion in China about them <laughs> saying, oh, look, we need, we need to pick it up here, buy some more because we're falling behind. I don't think that's a concern over there. <laughs> yeah, and, well, you know, one of the contentions we have is uh, it's hard to hold China to a deal on, on anything. And uh, mm-hmm. the, <laughs> and uh, even, even with the, the tariff pressures and all of that, we really have not – evidence of being able to fundamentally change China's behavior uh, and make them a good neighbor. So that's going to continue to be a frustration. And once again, it's always going to come down to uh, what's in their best interest as far as what they actually do. We're talking with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Let's get to the supply chain situation and the ability to move products. it doesn't seem to be getting any better, uh, and it doesn't seem like it's going to get better anytime soon. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little suspicious, just maybe, Mike, and and maybe it's hard to put out an optimistic flame in me, but I'm a little suspicious that with all the attention it has right now, it's possible that we're in the peak of of the worst of it. Uh, there was an article from Financial Times just a few days ago that showed that the, the shipping rates from China to the U.S. have dropped significantly, and I mean by almost uh, half in the last month. Uh, now, does that signify a big change? Part of that is due to the fact that they shut down a lot of their uh, industrial base in this big effort to conserve electricity, and, and I have a lot of skepticism about that. And uh, just how long that's going to continue to keep soybean crush plants uh, closed. But it's, it's obviously it's going to take time. It's, I think it's still going to be well into probably the middle of next year before we see significant relief from the congestion and, and uh, shipping costs. But certainly uh, it, we've got to be close to the, the peak of the worst in here somewhere. Inflation concerns continue to grow. How do those outside concerns and pressures impact commodity markets? Well, I think the number one inflationary price that's concerning to grain right now is natural gas. And uh, the whole energy complex obviously is is, uh, elevated and somewhat on alert here as we head toward winter. But because of natural uh, gas use in agriculture, 
for a lot of things, but especially as it applies to fertilizer prices, uh, I think that's probably the number one inflationary concern for agriculture between now and next spring. Yeah, we're keeping a close watch on that for sure. You mentioned South America. We know they have more acres. They're starting to get some rain. Uh, What how bearish is a huge crop if they have one down there? Well, it is. Uh, you know, China's in this spot where they are uh, really largely dependent on what Brazil coming through with a big record crop every year. And so they they need this to succeed. And fortunately for them, it has. And in fact, Brazil has increased their harvested acres and soybeans for 17 consecutive years now, or this will be the 17th year if they pull this one off. I've talked to our meteorologists, and they say that, you know, the tough thing about Brazil's weather pattern is the soybean crop season is right in the heart of the rainy season. And, of course, we've seen years where the rainy season can come late or early. This year it looks maybe a week late, but it's starting to show up now. Once that gets going, it's it's really hard to ruin the crop uh, when you're in the heart of that season. So I think we probably have to anticipate that they are going to have uh, another record crop. Of course, the weather will have the final uh, say on that, and we can't ever say with 100% certainty when weather's involved. But uh, it's it's uh, it, it's very crucial to China's expansion plans, and uh, they they are so uh, vulnerably dependent on Brazil. It's uh, I, I think one day it's going to bite them, but uh, so far we're off to a good start weather-wise this year for them. Yeah, they're getting away with it. Uh, but I think that's kind of yeah. a staggering thing you just said: 17 consecutive years of acreage increases there in South America. And this year, we thought everything was pointing to an increase in acres for us here, and, and we didn't didn't see it for soybeans. So, I mean, that's, that's quite a contrast. Yeah. yeah, and obviously we don't have the potential to expand that no. Brazil still does. They still got plenty of pasture available and so forth. So uh, we're... we're a bit limited in uh, what we can do, and we just kind of hope for good weather to help us out. So they, even after 17 straight years of expansion, they could expand more. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they're on their way to a record crop. That's the early estimates from both USDA and CONAB uh, that they're going to see about a 5.2 or 5.3 billion bushel crop. Uh, is is the early guess. So that will be a new record again for Brazil. But you know, I it's it's gone step in step with China's expansion and their mm-hmm. need for uh, increased amounts of meal every year. And as you pointed out, that may bite them someday. So far, they've gotten away with it, but they've sure let themselves become mm-hmm. pretty dependent on on Brazil, haven't they? Yes, absolutely, and and uh, you know, uh, for policymakers, take note because uh, China is heavily reliant on Brazil, and they're heavily reliant on crude oil imports, and that's the real weakness, I think. If you if you want to exert some trade leverage, take a look at those two arteries, uh, because the country just could not keep going without those two things. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, Todd, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. All right, up next, the latest on the fight against soybean cyst nematode. Probably cost some yield this year. How can you prevent it moving forward? And what are some things that you need to be doing this fall? We'll talk about that with Greg Tilka, Iowa State nematologist, next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone. 
because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the foundation foundation fighting fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today we're joined again by Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, to discuss the latest happenings in farm policy. And Will, there's certainly a lot going on, some big decisions in Washington, D.C. I wanted to look at something that we're hearing more and more about, and that is possibly quite an increase in funding for conservation programs. It'll be a challenging process. It's become more difficult in recent years to pass the farm bill. You have more voices at the uh, table and more people involved. So that makes it a little more challenging. It does. And, you know, I don't think that this upcoming farm bill will be any different um, from the other from the past two, as far as uh, how much of a challenge it will be. Uh, Obviously, a lot of that's going to depend on who's in control of the House and Senate to write the bill after the 2022 midterms. Uh, Any bill, but especially a farm bill is going to look very different depending on who has the chair in the Senate and the House Agriculture Committees. Uh, With that said, I I certainly think that there's going to be the normal debate between the farm policy portion of the bill and the nutrition or food stamp portion of the legislation. And just like the last two farm bills, that's probably going to be the most likely area where negotiations could break down. Uh, And then lastly, I always like to remind any producers that I talk to that they need to be reminding their congressmen now of the importance of the federal crop insurance program. As in past years, there's probably going to be an attack on the crop insurance program at some point in the farm bill process. Um, And I've heard time and time again from producers that that's the most important piece of the farm safety net that they use. Um, In addition to conservation, I think there's probably going to be the usual discussion around Title I commodity programs and how farmers feel that that current suite of farm safety net programs are working for them. That's Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, joining us on Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, we continue to try to keep you updated on ways to fight soybean cyst nematode. And joining us now is Greg Tilka, Iowa State nematologist. Greg, we know farmers are busy right now with harvest, but this is also an important time to take steps in fighting a soybean cyst nematode to avoid losing yields in the future, right? That's exactly right, Mike. And hopefully um, farmers that are listening to your broadcast in the combine We'll just make a note that once they get their fields harvested, there's another important task to accomplish this fall, and that's to get out there and pull soil samples either from fields that they grew soybeans in this year, if they want to see if FCN affected this year's soybean yields, but probably more importantly, sample some fields of harvested corn that will be scheduled for soybeans next year because they really, really, really need to know what's the FCN situation in those fields for 2022. I know you're especially concerned about some fields that haven't been tested in a number of years now. That's exactly right. Um, This is kind of a chronic problem for soybeans that can kind of slip away from us if we don't pay attention. And then I'm also super concerned this fall because soybean cyst nematode loves hot, dry soil. It reproduces extremely well under drought conditions. And I looked up the drought monitor situation online for the Midwest, and there's much of the uh, areas of Iowa, Illinois, southern Wisconsin, southern Minnesota, Missouri, that have had drought conditions. And if those fields with SCN experience hot, dry soils, uh, reproduction could be double uh, from a normal year with adequate or excess rainfall. I was thinking about farmers looking at their, their soybean yields this year, and if they're thinking maybe... They're kind of disappointed thinking, well, I, I would have thought that it was going to be higher or even some that are good and maybe not even thinking about, hey, it could have been better all because uh, if they could uh, would have had better control of soybeans and nematode. That it's a, it's a yield robber and we often talk about it being kind of that invisible or overlooked yield robber. You described it exactly correctly, Mike. It's, it's those farmers that are getting 50 bushels and thought they were going to get 55 or 60 and those that got 60 and don't know that they could have got 65 or 70 if they had uh, tested their fields for SCN and had resistance working in those fields. So I thought you brought up a good point, not just testing, soil testing this year's soybean fields, but actually testing next year's soybean fields that were corn fields this year. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if a farmer can't do both, I would recommend that he or she sample fields of corn stalks this fall, those fields that are scheduled to have soybeans grown in them in uh, the next growing season. So you mentioned the hot, dry soils. What if someone's in a wet area? Do they, are, does that kind of give them off the hook or think they're safe, or do, what should they be concerned about? Well, uh, wet soils um, are less bad. <laughs> I don't want to say they're mm-hmm. good, um, but they're certainly soybean cyst nematode will not thrive and have high levels of reproduction in wet soils, but, you know, wet is a continuum. And if there was some flooding uh, or heavy rains that moved uh, soil from surface erosion, that's one of the main culprits of how SCN moves around from field to field. So, um, yeah, movement of soil from flooding and uh, heavy rains can move it around. But if you don't have that, then uh, wet soil, it actually is a bit of good news and that the SCN won't have uh, optimum reproduction throughout the growing season. Okay, so they get the soil test. Then how do they read that as far as how they should react? And like, what is the level of concern when they get the results of that soil test back? Well, most every soil test lab will give them an interpretation of whether their levels are low, medium, or high and some management recommendations. And that's a good question because it leads me to bring up the SCN Coalition, which is a national effort to help farmers manage SCN, and the website is thescncoalition.com, with no spaces, thescncoalition.com. And on that website is a national map. Uh, You find that map and click on your state, and there will be a pop-up of all the soil testing laboratories that farmers can send soil samples to in a particular state. And then the other thing I'd like to mention while I'm thinking of it is We have corporate partners for the SCN Coalition, and one of them is BASF. And BASF has launched a special effort in the month of October 
It's called SCN Action Month, and they're offering free soil tests for farmers. And so um, listeners can go to their website to learn more about getting those free soil samples. The website is scnactionmonth.com with no spaces, scnactionmonth.com. And circling back to what we were talking about earlier, even if you're you're happy with your soybean yields this mm-hmm. year, you should be thinking maybe they could have been better. And one of yep. the ways to find out would be get that soil test done and you say you see what your level is and say, hey, they could have been better. Exactly. And we haven't had time to talk about the common type of resistance, which is losing its effectiveness. It's called PI88788. And there's an uncommon type of resistance in varieties called Peking. And I have research data from farmer's fields in Iowa where the common type of resistance yielded 52 bushels per acre and the uncommon type of resistance yielded 22 bushels per acre more, uh, that peaking type of resistance. So that's kind of the hidden yield loss that we're talking about that farmers don't even realize they're missing out on. So even though they're busy this fall, it'll pay off in the long run if they get that soil test done, right? Absolutely. Uh, And again, sample fields, especially that are slotted for soybeans in 2022, And then one last thing, once they know they have SCN, it's a good idea to sample before every third soybean crop or so to to get a feel for what the numbers are doing in that field. But it all starts with taking a soil sample now if you haven't sampled a field in many years. Very good. Greg, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you again. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Greg Tilka, Iowa State nematologist. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Mike Pearson will be sitting in for me tomorrow. I'll be back on Thursday. Again, have a great day. Join us right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com.